The I Love You So Much podcast is proudly sponsored by Hilton. Discover Austin and choose from one of our many brands, including Hilton, Embassy Suites by Hilton, Doubletree by Hilton, Hampton Inn & Suites, and Home to Suites by Hilton. See more, save more. Stay at Hilton. Unlock local experiences at travel.hilton.com. The thing that I love the most about Austin is no matter where I travel in the U.S. or around the world, if I tell someone I'm from Austin, their immediate reaction is always, oh, I've heard so many great things about that town, and they're all true. The live music, the food, the community support of an inclusive coffee shop, there's no place better to live than Austin, Texas. My name is Jonathan Davis, and you're listening to I Love You So Much. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm Addie Broyles. And I'm Alyssa Vidalis, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman. Ann Rutt has been working on South Congress since she started as a waitress at Vespayo more than 15 years ago. Now she runs three businesses along one of the most popular streets in the city, including Limbo Jewelry and a new children's shop called Little Limbo. We asked her to come to the studio to talk about how SoCo has changed in the past 20 years and what she was surprised to find at the Domain when she expanded there last year. Every year, Statesman restaurant critic Matthew Odom ranks Austin's best restaurants in his annual dining guide. In a new segment we're calling I Love This So Much, Matthew joins us to talk about his top favorite restaurants in the city, why fine dining isn't what it used to be, and what Austin's rising cost of living might mean for your favorite eateries. But first, let's hear from Anne, who remembers South Congress when it was still a sleepy strip in South Austin with plenty of parking and not a scooter in sight. Anne Rhett, welcome to I Love You So Much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So you own several shops on South Congress and about to own another one, Limbo, Triple Z Threads, and the soon-to-open Little Limbo, which opens in early November. Uh, I wanted to have you into the studio to talk about how South South Congress has changed since you've been here. You work with more than 100 local artists. I'd love to find out more about how uh, their creativity inspires your own. Um, But I guess I want to start with you are a Chicago native who moved to Austin in the early 2000s. And then you had this pretty fun story that started. Take us back there. Yeah. Um, Where do I start? Um, I moved to Austin in 2002. Um, I worked at Vespio on South Congress. Uh, I met my husband there while I was waiting tables and he was managing the outdoor artist market in the Vespio parking lot. There's a little clue here for what's to come. (laughs) Yes. Um, uh, Then we um, met in, I think, 2006, uh, married in 08 and have been building our businesses on the 1600 block of South Congress ever since. So your heart and soul has been on SoCo for all these years. It's cool. We went from, you know, waitress inside, table, uh, tent outside in the market to brick and mortars on the same block. That's so. so cool. And Limbo was the business that you opened then? Limbo Jewelry and Triple Z Threads. Cool. And so he he's a jewelry maker. He is. And uh, tell me about the kinds of art that he makes. Um, I really appreciate my husband's eye for clean design. Um, his uh, jewelry is very architectural, modern. Uh, clean lines, um, it's 
good everyday stuff, uh, still made in our studio uh, over in East Austin. We were at the Pump Project for a long time. Um, we're about to relocate to the Ben White Business Park. <laughs> <laughs> changing <laughs> Austin. Changing Austin. You know, you got to stay adaptable. Well, so take us back. I mean, SoCo at that time, I moved to Austin in 2005. I remember, okay. you know, at that point, South Congress was not what it was in 1995, which I had heard lots of stories about. Um, and Vespio opened probably right around maybe 2000? 98. 98. Okay, cool. Why I know that, I don't know. Well, you were working there in the <laughs> early days. But I mean, South Congress has always been, you know, it's beloved by locals and tourists alike. That's how I would interpret it. Um, maybe that has changed in the past decade, but I'd love to hear your insights into that. Sure. I mean, I, I really feel uh, South Congress is the heart and soul of Austin. It grew organically. Um, you can't manufacture that vibe, you know, as much as people try. Um, it is changing. Um, there's been a lot of national, maybe even international attention uh, due to the foot traffic and the popularity of the street. Um, you know, with the music lane development and the Soho House going in. and So Soho um, House, tell us about that. That's a uh, hotel, correct? Yeah, I, um, I've been to the Soho House in Chicago, um, and that's kind of the extent of my knowledge. Okay. It's a club membership based oh, club okay. slash hotel yeah um you know the pool in chicago is wonderful but um that's really all i know well basically um i guess for listeners who haven't had a chance to maybe drive down south congress in a while we're seeing cranes there yes. you know building multi uh mixed use uh, projects condo projects i mean it uh uncommon objects was a local business that moved off of south congress recently lucian disguise is still there there are a lot of forever i mean there are still a lot of local businesses that are there but you're also seeing warby parkers and um madewell Uh, they took over the american apparel space correct um but like saint vincent de paul the thrift store closed you know that was a that was a sad day for me i love thrift i love thrift shopping I, i do too it's um from what i can see it's a three to four story building and um the American Apparel Store is actually AV Nation. Oh, got it. Um, Madewell is just to the south. This okay. is the great thing about Anne that I've learned already in the 20 minutes that she got to the Statesman is that she could probably tell you every address and business <laughs> all up and down SoCo. I uh, I walk the street regularly. Yeah, but you don't live you don't live in that particular neighborhood. I live um, four miles south of South Congress. Um, you're yeah. a Southie though. I'm a four fiver. Yeah, yeah. She and I both. So I've always lived in South Austin and strongly identify with the keep Austin weird ethos that I think really thrives in 7704 particularly, but also in the four five. Yeah, definitely. I love it. My neighbors have chickens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you also, you know, investing in local artists and that creativity, that creative spirit is a huge part of your business. I mean, you also sell embroidered threads with Bigfoots and Mr. <laughs> Rogers on it. So you're doing your fair share of keeping Austin weird. We're trying. Tell tell me about developing this network of artists, how that has inspired your business, if that was part of the business plan from the beginning and just how that part of things have, has evolved. Um, so we came out of the Austin community or the artist community. So, you know, being in the outdoor artist markets, um, being in the pump project, um, we were already, I guess, from there. So um, when we got the brick and mortar, of course, we were going to bring in all of our friends. Mm. You know, we want to support the artist community. Um, and not just jewelers. Jewelers. 
You've got, I mean, accessories. Yeah. Other jewelers, t-shirts. Pillows. um, Pillows. Yeah. 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 I saw some really cool pillows that actually inspired my own creativity at home. I was like, wait a second. I think I want to make something. Nice. Um, Do you make anything? I do not. I am not a creative at all. You make retail spaces. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Retail experiences. Yes. Um, I I love the the retail experience. It's kind of like setting the stage and, you know, orchestrating the characters of a play, which we do have some characters on our team, which are tons of fun. We love our limbo family. And, um, you know, I love the merchandising aspect. Um, I love our team members. I don't know. I feel really lucky. So working with these local artists, how have you seen their ability to make a living in Austin change? It's changing. Um, when you're worried about bills and paying the rent, um, I think it leaves less room for creativity. Um, so for example, my sisters <clears throat> live in Detroit, right? So they're paying two fifty, three fifty, four hundred dollars a month in rent. They're not focused on paying the bills. They get to they have the freedom to focus on their art. Mm-hmm. Um, so the rising cost of Austin, um, my concern is they will push out the creatives in mm-hmm. our community. Are you already seeing some of them have to get, you know, basically, I don't want to say get jobs as if what they do right now is not a job, but get a, a more traditional job and even stop making their art? Um, I don't know that I've seen that, but I mean, when we lost our studio space at the Pump Project, which was one of the last affordable studio spaces in Austin, um, it definitely put us in a bind. How it, many other artists were there? Uh, 23. And they're all having to find new spaces. Yeah, the Pump Project um, is, I think, going to relocate and have, has found a space. But, um, you know, it's left a few of us in a bind. But mm-hmm. the show must go on. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still now manufacturing in a very cramped space, hammering away at metals um, next to people that need more quiet time because we now share a studio space with architects and, you know, people that need to make phone calls and... <laughs> We're soldering and it's all kind of crazy. So we're moving um, November 15th, thank God, to uh, our own space. And I'm excited excited about calling it kind of home. The studio needed home. Yeah. So having run the store on South Congress for so long, you see all kinds of people walk through your doors. I mean, all kinds. Half of them are wearing cowboy boots and some of them are wearing conference badges. Some of them are locals. Some of them are families. Tell me a little bit about uh, the people you see walking to your store. Um, We're actually seeing less and less locals on SoCo. It is uh, truly a tourist destination. Um, But, you know, South Congress is where you take uh, your friends and your family when they're in from out of town. Um, I guess for the Austin experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what we strive to do in all of our stores. We want to give you that authentic local Austin-y experience with Austin-made products and um, I feel like Triple Z is definitely doing their part to keep it weird. I mean, our tagline is fine embroidered crap. You know, we take vintage pearl snap shirts and do weird things on them like the laser cats, which is actually my cat, Rachel. Um, I also We also just put our dogs on our shirts. It says adopt, don't shop, and it's our two pit bulls on the front of a uh, Pearl Snap. That's really cute. And now you're adding a children's store, so you're going to target families, well, 
out of town families and local families. I'm sure you're you're open to everybody coming and buying stuff for their children there. Um, but you said about a year ago you opened up a location up at the domain, and tell me about how that has been. Well, just in general, I think that's a really fascinating leap from the heart of South Congress up to North Austin. So after seeing the changes on South Congress, um, as a small business owner there, I'm always scared the entire street's gonna be an H&M Forever 21 or a Gap, to be honest. Um, it's just going to become a mall. I don't know. I mean, it seems like it's headed that way. It's yeah. Is that in part because rent is so high? Rent is so high that it national chains are the only ones that can afford rent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're, you know. Really hustling. Keeping the, the belts pretty tight. Yeah. So, um, keeping the, so, cat, the cat lasers. <laughs> going strong yeah just to kind of protect our business and our employees and the artists that we support we opened uh, a store in the domain are you at domain north side or domain we're in the domain north side okay yeah we're right on palm way so um we were excited to see the apple store open because uh we get a lot of foot traffic that way and tell me about how the shopping experience is the same or different up there, the types of people you see, just the whole the whole vibe. So I'm a South Austinite and uh, we you can only do so much research and, you know, walking around the domain north side and you don't kind of really know till you get there. Um, but we were pleasantly surprised and surprised that it's actually oddly enough, a more diverse area of Austin than we've seen on South Congress. Mm. Um, We see all, you know, races, ethnicities in the domain. Um, And more locals, it sounds like. And more locals, um, but also more tourists. Hmm. There's a lot of um, corporate, large corporations up there Mm -hmm. um, and conferences, homeways up there, Facebook, you know, I mean, the lunch crowd is a uh, busy time for us at the domain. So people who are working up there will just pop by on their lunch hour. Exactly. And people are really excited that we're local. Mm-hmm. Um, they're looking for something from Austin. Mm. I think the domain north side's trying to achieve a very like Austin-y flavor. And I think we offer that there. Mm-hmm. So. That's neat. Um, okay, so tell me about the children's store. What is what is it like merchandising for little kids as opposed to adults? I mean, the raunchy humor, I guess. There's a time and a place well, on the onesies before they can read. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> um, so Limbo's kind of a design store. Triple Z is humor. Definitely my weird sense of humor. Um, and um, Little Limbo... We saw an unfilled niche on SoCo. Um, you know, there's a lot of requests for kids' things. So basically, Little Limbo is a, there's something there for everyone. But if you have kids and you're a very progressive parent, Little Limbo is the place for you. <laughs> I can go restock up on my pride socks that my children have been wearing <laughs> exactly. since they were very small. Very small. Yeah. We uh, have a Ruth Bader Ginsburg finger puppet. <laughs> Have also have a Trump Putin finger puppet. Should I be saying this on here? I don't know. Um, you know, we have a lot of fun things for everyone. That's so fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you're up to your elbows in poop, it's really helpful when <laughs> you can at least laugh at the, you know, 
cute or funny onesie or, you know, something that you've got in your kid's room. Um, so you split your time between Austin and Chicago, even after all these years. What brings you back to your hometown? Um, I love Austin and I very much love Chicago. Uh, we originally started doing uh, summers in Chicago out of necessity. Um, when our bread and butter was the income from the artist market at Vespayo, June, July, August, even September were very rough months being out there in the 110 heat. So um, Chicago has 300 street fairs uh, between June, July, and August. They and do summer and then they, they do it. They, the sun comes out. <laughs> there is no better place on the planet to be uh, than Chicago in the summer. Everyone's happy that the sun's out. Um, Lake Michigan is truly a treasure um, but we've managed to build um, a following there. We have a wonderful uh, group of regulars that love my husband's jewelry. And um, and so do you sell just, Edson is your husband's name, right? Mm-hmm. Do you just sell his jewelry? In Chicago. Okay. I didn't know if you brought some of the Austin artists up there. Um, we, we have not yet. Uh, we just have Triple Z and Limbo in Chicago. So you, and so maybe one day it'll be a brick and mortar. Well, I was thinking, yeah, I was wondering if the Limbo brand uh, was something you would ever export out, out of Austin. Uh, you know, I always daydream about opening a store in Chicago. Um, but also, if it's not broke, you know, don't fix it. And sure. our time in Chicago, you know, we have a two-day art fair. And then Monday through Friday, you can find us at a you know, an Asian restaurant in Uptown or on the beach. Not eating deep dish pizza, though. No, thank you. <laughs> Very polite. No comment. <laughs> what What is the artist scene like up there as opposed to, or compared to Austin? Um, It's the entrepreneurial, you know, small startup yeah. kind of scene. Um, that's, it's a very different climate up there. Um, Chicago is broken up into neighborhoods. Um, and those neighborhoods each have their own identity and their own community. Um, and so an economy kind of, yeah. So, you know, the artists that, you know, you might just serve a certain neighbor or or section of town and and then, you know, in another part of town, they have their own, they've got pop-ups and, you know, just sort of the culture that belongs to that, that place. Yeah. Um, you know, Renegade Craft Fair started in Chicago. Mm. Um, and so I would say if you want a good sampling of the artist community or crafter community in Chicago look at the Renegade Craft Fair and the one in Austin is about a fourth of the size as the one in Chicago I mean it is shoulder to shoulder people um uh yeah I know that the community in Austin um it's growing yeah I was I'm constantly scoping um, craft fairs here. I was just actually at Craft Her, the Boss Babes craft event on Sunday, was that? That's cool. I didn't know about that. Oh, man. So the event was 11 to 5. I was like, cool, I'll be there at 11.20 because Austin sleeps in. <laughs> and it was already packed. It wow. was so good to see. Where are some other places that people can go and have similar discovery moments of discovery like you know i just find the coolest stuff and i'm just amazed at the creativity um when i go to any kind of fair but what are some of your other favorite haunts around town um i love the east austin studio tour is the best bike ride 
ever, um, you know, and everyone kind of flocks to the east side, go eat some food, have dinner at Justine's, hop on your bike. You know, it's a it's a great um, time to see what Austin's up to. Um, I really like the Blue Genie. Um, we've been vendors there for a while now, maybe six years. Um, I love to scope for lines there. So not only do artists come to us and mm-hmm. submit their work to us, but I'm on the lookout constantly for new artists. I take it Instagram is probably pretty good for that. You know, I am not good at social media. Oh, I, yeah. We were grabbing before the we started recording. Huh? But I, yeah, I texted a photo to my our wonderful marketing director, Philip Nelson, <laughs> Post it for me. Trolling the hashtags for yeah. the new artists. I'm just not a good photographer. Interesting. So, yeah. I'm learning so much about you. This is so great. Yes. What What's your hope for the next 10 years for SoCo? Um, my hope for the next 10 years for SoCo is preservation. The local flavor, the organic growth of it all is, um, you can't replicate that. Um, you can't manufacture that. And I hope that it stays um, the way it is. Uh, and I would hate to see small businesses pushed out. And then, you know, it'll be like any other street in America, mm. you know, and it's, we don't want a mall mm. on South Congress. Mm-hmm. We want to keep it weird. Yeah. Do you know what your building used to be? Which like one? Any of them. Do you know it like the, his- the historical, you know, origins of... I can't go too far back. Okay. I can only... Um, so oddly enough, 1604 um, was Parts and Labor's first location before they moved north to the old, I think it was a dry cleaners. Yes. But and oddly then they moved enough, back, right? Then they moved back to the 1700 block. Yes. I do remember when they were in that mm-hmm. other location, though. Um, which is kind of cool because it's uh, Parts and Labor was the first store that carried limbo jewelry. Um, so that's kind of a neat I don't know. Connection. That was neat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know what was in there. There was, when we first um, got the space at Limbo at 1604, there was a double cinder block um, brick safe with poured concrete on top of it. Like you didn't even have cell service inside. It was like a bunker. I wonder, I wonder why. I don't know. Maybe it was a jewelry store or um, wow. we demoed that thing out. Yeah. It was crazy. And then what lore have you heard just about South Congress in general? I mean, I you hear about that it was sort of the home where prostitutes were and there was like the theater, <laughs> the porn theater down for the down South Congress. I mean, are those things accurate or is that just legends that have spun up and become more exaggerated over time? So I, you know, when I was working at Vespio in 02, sex workers had a heated argument that involved fists flying in the parking lot at Vespio. And in fact, South Congress was so quiet. Um, I'll never forget the night the Frost Tower was lit for the first time. The staff of Vespio, South Congress was quiet enough that the staff of the Vespio went and stood in the middle of South Congress because there was hardly any traffic and watched the Frost Tower be lit for the first time. So, Could you have even imagined what the skyline would look like? 15 years later, 20 years later? No. I, I mean, I would have never mad, imagined that I'd have a store on that same block or married, met my husband there. It's just, you never, you never know. Austin is pretty magical like that, isn't it? It is. No if, complaints. I think if you can open your mind and your heart to it, it still has that, but you got to really pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Tacos and traffic. 
the new the new Austin. Thank you so much for this interview. This has been great, Ian. Thank you. Matthew Odom, welcome back to the I Love You So Much studio. Thanks, guys. Beautiful studio you got back here. Thank you. So we're excited because this is uh, our first new toast. So for a long time, since the beginning of Statesman Shots even, we called this segment a toast, where everybody would go around and recommend something that they liked. Alyssa and I are toying around with maybe making them themed, and we're also going to call it I Love This So Much, because that kind of fits in with the name of the show. This and, and that and articles for this call. <laughs> I don't know. Conjunctions. Branding. Hashtag branding. <laughs> um, and so we thought we'd talk about food and what better person to have talk about food than Matthew. And he just released his dining guide. So, I mean, this dining guide looks different than a lot of the other dining guides you put out. Super thorough. Dropped in the um, Sunday edition of The Statesman a couple of weeks ago. But it's going to be for sale at Book People, correct? Yes, yeah, Sunday at 5 o'clock. Uh coming up oh. when this air when does this air so matthew will have he's going to go actually give a presentation at book people this weekend but that that will be after we have aired this it's in the past you know future back to the future, back to the future. um but you've been doing a lot of uh, media for this and so i guess our first question for you is uh, before we get to the actual restaurants that are in this list how did you put it together i thought that you were gonna say is the first question are you my favorite media members <laughs> um we know that answer <laughs> of course um how did i put it together you know it's interesting this year i did the top 50 one through 50 last year i did 75 restaurants and trailers Mm. and it included some places further afield this year it's just austin and it's just restaurants it's one through 50 uh if you want trailers there's a separate guide in the back of course you're listening uh and reading online it's austin360.com slash eats it's broken down by trailers barbecue tacos and then the top 50 um i thought the top 50 was kind of a more exciting and engaging uh, approach to it this year and in the past i kind of stayed away because it's hard to the difference between 36 and 75 is it can 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 vary depending on the day so i thought i'd cut it down to 50 make it more competitive and uh, it just seems like an, a more exciting way to go about it this year have it all in one in one place online as well and we'll see what the uh what the feedback is on it but so far it seems like it's uh it's been good and it's not like you eat at all these restaurants in july and then rank them correct? no no i you know, I consider all of the, every time I go to a restaurant, you know, I hate to say it, but it, it is kind of work. So every time I go to a restaurant, I'm not writing about it that night or when I get home and it's not for review. And, you know, in the past I've said, you know, I don't want restaurants to freak out when I'm in there because I'm just enjoying my life the way other people are. But the fact of the matter is it all adds up and it, it's aggregate. And so every time I go to dinner, you know, if I was at dinner tonight somewhere, um, even though I'm not reviewing it fresh, it'll... It'll weigh on my mind, and I'll circle back to it later on. And then there are places, you know, towards uh, the middle of the summer and near the end of the summer that I have to circle back on. Um, I want to make sure that I go to all these places at least once in about the last 15 months or so. Uh, and there's 50 of them, and then you can imagine there's another 50 or so contenders uh, that didn't make it that I want to circle back to. Obviously, I can't make it to every restaurant uh, in the city, but I try to go to as many possible, as many as possible, and as many as I think you know could be in contention of course there's ones i'm going to miss and i always make sure i circle back on those uh for the following year and i'll hear from people about about stuff i need to to check out and so that's always exciting it's it's a good time of year for me because it gets people to point out things that i might have overlooked sometimes cool uh can we talk a little bit about the intro to this dining guide i found it really interesting just kind of the call to action feel you have uh talking about you know, as property taxes surge and rents increase, uh, many great local restaurants struggle to stay afloat, you wrote. 
Yeah, you know, I think it's really it's a hard time for everybody in the city, whether you're you know living here as a citizen and working uh, somewhere, or whether you're running a restaurant. And uh, we all of our rents are have gone up, uh, our property taxes go up, and fortunately, we're able to homestead those. And you know, a lot of these restaurants when they they'll pay triple net, so they're they're having to cover the property taxes uh, of these um, places where they're. Uh, where they're situated. And so the cost of doing business goes up. It's getting harder to attract staff uh, in part because I think it's harder to want to move to a city that doesn't have, you know, previously didn't have a huge service culture. We're building more of one now, but you know, if you move to Austin and you're making $40,000, you know, maybe if you're lucky as a, as a sous chef or um, not even a line cook, maybe as a sous chef, it's going to be hard to find a place to live unless you're living with, you know, two folks in a, in a, an apartment or a house somewhere on the edge of town. So it, you know, it's the cost of living has gone up in Austin. The cost of doing business has gone up. And, you know, if you're looking at $60 a square foot rent in downtown, there's only certain deep pocketed companies that can afford these spaces. And so uh, we're seeing national companies come in. We're seeing chains come in, uh, not just here, but uh, up in uh, other parts of town, like the domain places where there's a lot of centralized um, dining options. And so, I mean, you know, that if, if we have a bunch of chains, we end up looking like every other city. And part of what makes Austin Austin are the creative businesses that we have here and the creative people that we attract here. And so I think it's important that, that we, you know, that, that, that we support these places with our dollars. You know, I always hear every time a place closes, I hear, oh, you see on social media, somebody say, oh, I never got a chance to go there. I still wanted to try that out. And it will have been open for like three or five years. And, you know, you have a chance and the chance is right now. And I know it's expensive to eat out and I'm lucky that, you know, uh, a lot of my dining is, is covered by uh, work. But, uh, you know, I pay a lot of my own money out of pocket to go eat at restaurants all over town as well because I want to support them. Uh, and good food costs good money. So when you go to a place like Barley Swine or you go to a place like Olame, uh, these places that uh, are sourcing uh, and supporting local farmers and ranches or ranchers, um, you know, it costs them money to support those people and it costs us money to support these restaurants. So there's a chain there. So even with increasing rents and just the cost of doing business in Austin, it looks like the bar for the quality of food is also going up. You've had this job at for five, six years now, maybe uh, even longer. I think eight. This is my eighth year. I'm no. In. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've just started my eighth year in August. Wow. Well, uh, so that means that you have seen the quality of restaurants improve. I mean, from where <laughs> I sit, it seems like it's improved over that time. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of desperate to scratch together. I did a top 50, I think. Um, in 2010 was my first one, or maybe it's 2012, 2012. Anywho, uh, I think this is my seventh, my seventh, uh, list. And, you know, if we go back and look at that list from 2012 or whatever it was, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of desperately trying to find the last few places to, to fill out the list or the last several places. Um, this year, I mean, if you look at our top 12, I mean, for instance, and I'm not calling somebody out, uh, because they're not ranked as high as, they had been in the past, but I mean, you look at Daidue 13, Lenoir 11, both of those have been in the top five before Lenoir was number one a couple years ago. It just shows how competitive the top uh, 12 or 15 in our city is. Uh, Bufalina is number 15. I mean, I'd put our top 12 or so up against uh, the top 12 in Houston, the top 12 uh, maybe in Chicago. I mean, maybe we're not up there with San Francisco and Los Angeles and New York, but you know, the top of our, the top of our food chain right now, no pun intended, or terrible pun intended, um, <laughs> is really competitive and it's great and it, it makes me it makes me really happy. So I love this so much. Fill in the blank. Top restaurant of the year is uh, I love Emmer and Rye, uh, which is 
you know, a great restaurant. It's I think at the beginning people focus on their interest in heritage grains, which you know is getting back to grains before industrialization and hybridization of grains and kind of the weakening of grains. So they're uh, they're better. They're probably better for you. They have better flavor. They're more robust um, and they're more durable. And so they use those to make their own bread and to make their to make their own pasta. And then they got known for their fermentation that they do because uh, Kevin Fink, who's the chef partner there, uh, one of the three chef partners there, uh, worked for about uh, six months, I think, in Noma in Copenhagen. So he obviously has an interest in fermentation. So I think at the beginning, I'm not saying it was a gimmick, but I think there was a lot of focus on the kind of sciencey stuff that they do. And I think that's all well and good. And uh, it's very important. But they've gotten better and better at making great cohesive meals and really flavorful food and, and it's just, it's a really fun place to be. I like the bar there a lot. Uh, you know, there's this picture, the first picture in the dining guide. You can see uh, Chef Paige Presley, another one of the partners, pouring this creamy stuff over bread, and it's hard to tell what it is. It's like this creamed uh, sweet breads that they cook down and then emulsify, and then they put caviar in it and pour it over onions and house-made sourdough bread. Um, they do stuff like that. They do a crispy shortbread, they, or short rib, excuse me. Um, they obviously do great pastas like a mafaldine with pig trotter. And they also do, you know, I'm not a huge brunch guy. I'd rather make breakfast at home, but they have a great brunch. They use those grains to make roti, uh, which they have with great accompaniments. Uh, it's just a really excellent restaurant all the way around. Of course, Kevin Fink, I think in 2016 or so, uh, was an Austin, or excuse me, was a Food & Wine magazine, Best New Chef in America class. And so uh, he's been noticed for a few years now, and I I can't remember where they were their first year in being open, but they've slowly moved up the rank. I think last year there were five. This year they're number one. I like how in the dining guide it says that these spl- episodes of the Splendid Table play over yeah. the bathroom. That's right. <laughs> Is that right? I thought it was just old ones before, but then I think I heard Francis Lamb's voice uh, oh, okay, the other cool. night. So I guess they're, they're playing more updated ones as well. I think I don't know that they. I don't know where that idea originated, but if you go to the Pass and Provisions in Houston. Uh, they play, I think, old Julia Child episodes over their bathroom speakers. So I don't know if that was their uh, inspiration or not. Hashtag food trend. Yeah, uh, I was surprised to see your number two restaurant only because it, I think it's still somewhat under the radar for a lot of people. It really is pitchfork pretty. And I got to give a shout out to the chef there, Max Snyder. Uh, in the very opening of the dining guide, there's a list of the 10 chefs, the top 10 chefs and their names. And I, uh, we had Max Petty in the front and I think it's because of Pitchport Pretty oh, and then there used to be a chef in Austin named Max Petty mm-hmm. and I really do get kind of dyslexic with uh, names sometimes and so I mixed up Petty and Pretty and this other chef and anyways it's right online and it's right in, in the book on the inside <laughs> but just uh, pointing out my own flaws uh, so sorry chef um, that chef was at 11 Madison Park in New York City which you know as you know is one of the greatest restaurants in the world so he's bringing a lot of uh, technique to doing what they call hill country cuisine, which at first I kind of blanched at that idea because I spent a lot of time in the hill country and I'm not familiar with it having a, a cuisine per se. But, you know, they do uh, a grilled goat loin. Uh, they do some very flavorful house-made pastas. They do do a fried chicken, so kind of country stuff that you would associate with there. And then they do some more delicate things like this watermelon um, red snapper aguachile that there's a beautiful picture in from Amanda Voisard, one of our great photographers. Um yeah, you know, it is kind of under the radar. It's surprising. And, you know, there, there are a couple times I was in there this year where it's like, wow, is this, the, is this number one? So, you know, they've, mm. they've really tickled my fancy for a while. And uh, some friends of mine who love to go out to dinner, I, I know, love to go there. And it's, 
you know, it's always crowded. It's not a huge restaurant. So uh, people do know about it, but I definitely think it's more of a pet restaurant for some people. I don't know if that's because the um, owners moved here from out of town, if the chef moved here from out of town, um, what the exact reason is. Hopefully this draws some more attention to it. I know um, I even mentioned it to a couple national people who have come through and they've uh, overlooked it, but I think they're starting to take uh, a new look at it. So hopefully this guide will give some more attention to Chef Max Snyder and his crew. All these uh, pictures in the dining guide are extremely beautiful. I mean, shout out to our uh, statesman staff here. Is there any like particular dish, like one through 10 or even one through 50, that despite their rankings as a restaurant in the hall, you're like, that is the number one dish as far as this dining guide is concerned? That's a really good question. I don't, you know, the dishes that I go back to, you know, Emmer and Rye is known for their cacio e pepe, but Juniper serves, I think, the best cacio e pepe uh, pasta that I've had uh, this year. It's it's spectacular. So that one's uh, always on my mind. Where did the, Juniper fall in your top 10? Juniper was number nine from uh, Chef Nick Yanis. Uh, it's over in East Austin. A lot of good restaurants in East Austin. Uh, you know, one of a couple of the, the great dishes were at Olame, which is number four this year. It's been number one, I think, two of the last three years. Um, <laughs> I was finishing up my last meal at Olame about two months ago and I looked at my wife and I said, God, is it number one again? Like, <laughs> it's I just always love the meals that I have there and the standout dish from this time and I'm not a huge, huge pork guy um, but it's a sorghum brine pork chop and it's in this ham soubi. Uh, one, it's a beautiful dish and the ham soubi just kind of tastes like pig milk and I know that might it's kind of appetizing. Sure. Maybe Alyssa, should, close your ears. Okay. <laughs> should find a different job but um, it is so, so flavorful, so rich, so perfect. Uh, and I remember that same meal they served it with, um, or they didn't serve it with, but I also had a crab and sunflower salad, uh, which was gorgeous and so bright and refreshing and soothing. And it was served over a tomato aspic. And, you know, aspic is kind of an old school thing that you don't see much anymore. Uh, so this is kind of an old shout out to old kind of uh, Southern living and uh, those kind of old uh, Southern Southern dishes and recipes you might find with like gelatin molds. Ooh. So I have a question. Um, based on like the top 10, are there any kind of restaurant that you would suggest for me, um, <laughs> a simpleton, that I can walk into Wars this fan? restaurant? Yes, <laughs> that too. Uh, first and foremost, that I can walk in and feel comfortable, like a restaurant where I'm not going to have to pull out my phone every time to Google like right. an ingredient. That's so, a lot of that, like all these, the way that all these are like, described and all the classiness of it kind of like keeps me from, yeah. you know, wanting to try them out because I just don't want to look like a fool. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, I would definitely encourage you to, to not feel that way because people love, you know, servers and chefs, they love turning people on to new food and it's not like going into a bike shop. Uh, shout out bike shops. Uh, I mean, maybe that's the equivalent for me. Like I feel intimidated oh, sure. and they're using lingo and they, they're judging me cause I have no idea how to put air in my tire. Um, but I'd encourage you to check them all out. But in, in terms of kind of low barrier of entry, uh, in terms of knowledge and just feeling comfortable, odd duck is always a favorite. It's oh, yeah. number 10 this year. Um, it's always in the top 10. And that's you in know, a good area too, right across from the draft house. Yeah. Right across from the draft house. It's a great place to go for, uh, they do great happy hour specials, and they're now extending their happy hour. Uh, lunch used to end at 2.30, and then they'd close to like 5. And they now run happy hour starting at 2.30. I think it's food specials. Excuse me. It's food or drink specials till 5.30, and then and then the opposite one kicks in. Um, are, are you a vegetarian? Uh, I do prefer the less meaty th- options. Okay. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, great vegetarian dishes there. And they're one of those kitchens where when you tell them that you're a 
vegetarian, I think they get excited to see oh, what they can cool. do for you. Um, That's refreshing. Yeah. I would say if you do eat animals, though, try the fried quail. Um, mm. Also, suerte. Um, you know, it's very hip and cool. Um but not pretentious. It's cool, hip and cool in the sense that a ton of people want to eat there right now. Um, and it is in East Austin. It's a Mexican restaurant from uh, Sam Hellman Mass is the uh, owner. He was one of the founders of Barley Swine, or excuse me, Odd Duck. And then Chef Fermin Nunez uh, from Mexico who worked at Laundrette and has been in Austin for a while. Uh, they're nichemalizing their own corn and house to make masa, which they turn into tlacoyos and quesadillas and tacos and... Um, all sorts of tortillas, and so they're doing. Uh, they're doing awesome Mexican food. It's fresh. It's exciting. It's vibrant. Um, it's thoughtful, uh, and they've got some. I, I think their tule quesadilla is a uh, vegetarian option. They do a, a fried mushroom dish. Uh, they do a really great uh, roasted beet tostada, which you can see right there. Uh, oh, he has a copy of this uh, sweet little. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's an all color. Yeah, like, almost a, like a little magazine. Yeah, it's a small magazine. It Seriously, is. Seriously, if you're a foodie, go to book people and pick it up. Yeah, it's great. It's I'm really, really and I don't say that because because of me. I say that because of you know our new owners. This is their first time Gatehouse. They have a special projects team, and they designed it and laid it out and printed it, and it's gorgeous. I mean, it's a, it's a straight up magazine. So well, these were the the vision. <laughs> we've had visions, many conversations about how a dining guide might actually look like something that you would keep around and maybe even keep in your glove compartment and have mm-hmm. handy, not just printed on everyday newsprint that. Sometimes we know ends up in the recycling bin. Oh, all right. But yeah, and this will always stay online. At you, you said austin three sixty dot com slash eats. That's right. And you know, just flying through some of the other top fifty kind of places that you can go and not break the bank. Um, Did Loro make it into the top fifty? Yeah, Loro is in there. That's kind of near the end of the top fifty. Speaking of restaurants that have figured out that they can make money in the <laughs> smack dab in the middle of the day by offering a happy hour. Exactly. They have a really great happy hour in oh, the middle also, of the Also, that's an example of a restaurant that's a fast casual restaurant that could possibly be in response to the lack of servers in the city. Yeah. A restaurant they, owner was just telling me that this week that she predicts, you know, an influx of even more fast casual counter service restaurants simply because you can't keep a full staff of servers right now. Yeah, there's a couple of counter service restaurants in here. Uh, La Mata uh, is an Italian sandwich joint over in East Austin. Hmm. I think Pius might. I think Pius is counter service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's there's some there's some really casual places in here. Uh, Loro, as you mentioned, Old Thousand, um, Elizabeth Street Cafe. Taste of Ethiopia. There's one in Pflugerville, but this one shouts out uh, the South Congress location. Uh, a couple pizza places, or several, Via 313. Mm. Uh, obviously, those big, pizza thick Detroit-style pizzas. Uh, Home Slice made it into the top 25 for the first time. I think they're right around 25. Oh, and, that's right. You have a sandwich there that you really like. Oh, uh, man. You know, I've always loved their... Home Slice is 24. Um, I've always loved their Italian um, Italian grinder. Uh, with cold cut meats, um, and but I'd never had their turkey sandwich until about um, a month ago, uh, maybe two months ago, and then I had three of them in a week. Um, you know, it's the, it's the toasty sesame seed bread. Uh, the turkey's nice, even though I'm not a huge turkey fan. And then I think what really puts it over the top is the shredded lettuce and the mayonnaise, and the you got to add sweet cherry peppers to it as well. Um, I'll sometimes get mine without tomatoes just to cut down. Uh, on that little juiciness and acidity and the wetness of it. But um, I'm just not a huge tomato on sandwiches guy in general. But uh, yeah, the turkey sandwich 
at Home Slice. I've probably had six of them in the past three months. So we're going to wrap this segment with a whirlwind of I love this so much is. So you just talked about a sandwich. Taco? Oh, goodness. What comes to mind? You don't have to pick. We're not saying this is your very favorite taco in the whole city. We're saying this is the taco that you love so much. Yeah, you know, Valentina's Tex-Mex uh, barbecue tacos, uh, their brisket taco is pretty otherworldly. Uh, I also I also love El Primo on South First Street. So those are the first two that d- jump to mind. Pizza. What's your other besides Home Slice? I mean, Home Slice. Three three. Uh, home Slice uh, pepperoni pizza with green pepper is my favorite pizza. Um, but I like the sausage pizza at uh, Bufalina and Bufalina Due, which is number 15. And they also do a fresca, which is um, prosciutto and arugula with uh, squirts of lime and, or excuse me, squirts of lemon and olive oil on top of it. And that's nice and refreshing, but also meaty. <laughs> what about uh, date spot? Best date spots are probably Juniper, Lenoir, Olame and Emmer and Rye. And is that for like the atmosphere and the feel? Yeah, Olame if you want to feel like kind of fancy and and uh, high class. Uh, Emmer and Rye is fun. You can go get a drink at uh, Half Step uh, on Rainy Street when you're done. Uh, what are the other ones I said? <laughs> Juniper is very, it's sophisticated but fun. It kind of reminds me of a New York City restaurant. I love sitting at the bar there by myself. Uh, so it's a good self-date place uh, as well. And it's a good place to go with like another couple. And what was the fourth place I mentioned? Um Juniper, Emmer, and Rye, Olame, and uh, anyways, I can't remember. It's just amazing how much you can rattle off, how much information you store in your brain and can rattle off about each of these restaurants. It's yeah. almost as if you have the menu memorized. You do have the book there that you can look for for help, yeah. but you your category uh, your categorization of food is, is really impressive. Um, okay, what what other one did you want to hear about? Um, uh, I'm going to ask the lame sauce well, salad I, question. <laughs> oh, salads are great. Yeah, like there's always that. I do have a question concerning like, you mentioned that one of the really top restaurants have like a, I guess, expat from NYC. Like, are there, as all these like new restaurants keep coming in uh, with bringing, attracting like, you know, great talent from other cities and everything. Uh, is that changing like the Austin feel of these places? Do they still have an Austin feel? You know, they do. I think they're creating what new Austin is in some ways, which, you know, is welcome to me as long as it's uh, sincere and has a story to tell. Um you know, I think sincerity and effort are huge, and I think uh, those things have always been important here in all sorts of uh, creative arts. And so, I think those are welcome. Um, you know, no, they're not. Uh, they're not all odd duck, or they're not all Franklin barbecue, or they're not all Magnolia Cafe, or you, you know, whatever you associate Austin to be. Um, but I think Austin, you know, for years and years and years and years, was you know the 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 troika was burgers, tacos, and barbecue, and we've become so much more than that. And a lot of that's happened over the last 20 years or so. Of course, you know, it, it was happening in the, in the mid eighties um, with C Tejas and, and Jack Gilmore and the whole Southwestern cuisine situation uh, that went on. Um, and we've had steakhouses forever, of course, but it wasn't until I guess probably wink in 2001 that things really started to change here. Um, and, and you see, you know, older um, fine dining spots and or upmarket spots like Basil's in the eighties Alan Lazarus was the, was the chef there and went on to open Vespaio at the turn of the century on South Congress. So so that helped. But, you know, it's kind of red sauce Italian to some degree. Um, but I, I think we're creating and defining Austin as we go. And I think it's welcome. And, you know, I honestly I told somebody the other day, if I was if I was a, you know, a hotshot sous chef in, in New York City or San Francisco, you know, I'd consider coming down to Austin because, 
you know, we do have we have trouble with staffing down here, but I do think we, you know, will always have a need for brilliant chefs uh, and great minds to do cool concepts. And I, and I think they can work here despite uh, some of the failures that we have. Uh, you know, the, the one thing I'm more worried about more than outside chefs are people outside of the restaurant industry trying to get into the restaurant industry uh, and then giving up because they didn't make a bunch of money quickly or lost a bunch of money. Uh, you don't get into this business to make money. You do it because you can't imagine doing anything else. And we've had several restaurants close over the last couple of years. And from what I could see, they were opened by people with deep pockets and little experience and high expectations. And they hired good they hired good people in the front of house and hired good chefs uh, that had strong visions. And I think when they realize that you're not going to make a bunch of money and it's not like having a cool car uh, to park out in front of your house, that they took their toys and went home and that's not good for the scene. That's not good for morale. Uh, it's not good for anybody. So, you know, that's going to happen. I think as restaurants and chefs become the new rock stars or whatever that hackneyed line is. But I think, you know, some of these people think of it almost as being like a patron of the arts and Hey, we're going to open a restaurant and be cool. And kind of, it's like having your own backstage laminate for ACL, but it, that, that's not what it is. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of hard work. And if you want to be a patron of the arts, just go to somebody else's restaurant and spend a lot of money on dinner. Well, thank you, Matthew, so much for coming in. Thanks so much for the signing guide. Ooh, Listeners, if you want cannolis. to check it out, <laughs> go online to austin360.com slash eats, eats uh, and you can find all of Matthew's restaurants and his latest reviews. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. And thanks for our sponsor, Hilton Austin. Our theme music is provided by local band Hardproof. To keep up with us online, we're Love Austin 360 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you get a chance, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find our podcast. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is a production of the Features staff at the Austin American Statesman, and the show is produced by Alyssa Vidales and Addie Broyles. You can find everything you'd ever want to know about this show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch us an idea for the show or give us some feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave us a voicemail at 512-912-2504. We couldn't do this show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your extra long infinity scarves. Until next week, we'll see you making your Black Friday shopping lists. (laughs) 